This is the Sports Academic, a podcast that dives into sports and its greatest stories, with your host, Rohan Hardas. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the Sports Academic. My guest here is NBA beat writer for the Clippers via The Athletic, Jovan Buha. Jovan, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me on, man. So before we get started on today's discussion, I want the audience to learn a little bit more about you. So can you take me through your journey of how you started writing and how you ended up at The Athletic? Yeah, so I fell in love with basketball when I was eight, and I think that kind of is the genesis of how I got here. Um, You know, for some people, they consider themselves, you know, sports fans, multi-sport fans. Uh, I'm a basketball fan. I do enjoy other sports, but, um, you know, just covering them, writing about them doesn't interest me. So for me, it's always been, uh, you know, basketball or nothing since I was a little kid. Uh, So played all through, uh, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school. Uh, Towards the end of high school, I kind of realized that I wasn't going to make the NBA uh, despite being tall. And I tried to think of what would be the next best thing. Um, at first, you know, I thought about owning a team would be cool or being like a general manager in the front office. But those things are, you know, hard, if not impossible to, to achieve, um, or, you know, close to impossible. So I kind of settled on on writing and, and covering games and, and being a journalist. So senior year of high school, I took, uh, you know, journalism, and I wrote for the school paper, I became one of the, the sports writers and I got to write a bit about basketball. Uh, That was kind of the height of the Kobe-LeBron debate. So got to do something on that um, and and do some Lakers playoff stuff. So that was kind of my first taste of it, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I I think with with journalism, there's a narcissistic element to it where you you like seeing your name in print. You like seeing your name online. That that byline um, is a beautiful thing to see. So... Uh, I kind of was, was hooked from there and I uh, went to USC for print and digital journalism. Uh, and from kind of from, from the beginning, I, I, you know, I, I realized that uh, doing the, the, the school, the in-school route wasn't really my uh, path. You know, a lot of people were doing Daily Trojan, ATVN, uh, Neon Tommy. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I just... It, it, it interests me to an extent, you know, I did ATVN for a little bit. I wrote for Daily Trojan my senior year. I did some Neon Tommy and, and I had a radio show for a year. But, uh, you know, I was never fully committed into the, the inner school dynamics uh, of journalism. For me, I, I wanted to get real world experience. I wanted to do stuff with the NBA. So um, at the end of my freshman year, I went to a, a sports business association meeting and uh, went up to one of, one of the speakers. Uh, Ryan Abraham, who who runs uscfootball.com and uh, went up to him after it and, and you know, just offered, hey, if, you know, I kind of noticed that you guys don't have any college basketball uh, content, you know, I'd love to write and, and interview players and stuff. And, uh, you know, if you need help with anything. So, uh, you know, they, they were doing, um, uh, they're doing a show, a weekly show uh, downtown, uh, not downtown, um, in the, well, I forgot what's, what's, what's the Tradies is Tradies the, the bar and campus. Yeah. Tradies uh, is the bar on campus. So yeah, they, they, they were doing a, a weekly show at Tradies and they had just redone Tradies that in that whole area. So I was helping them out with that. 
And that was really my first experience. And that kind of got me, you know, just put something on my resume. And, and from that point on, it kind of snowballed. Uh, I started writing for True Hoop, which was basically ESPN's version of SB Nation and, uh, and fan sided. Started writing for their Clippers blog. Uh, and, and that was right before the Clippers got Chris Paul. So a few months later, they got Chris Paul and, you know, just kind of went from there, like got an internship with Grantland, started freelancing for ESPN LA. Uh, it helped that one of the, you know, the person who started Clipper blog, Kevin Arnovitz, was an ESPN NBA uh, writer and editor. So he kind of helped facilitate that kind of foot in the door for, for ESPN LA. But I was pretty aggressive with it. I, you know, I was pitching them stuff every week, uh, trying to write for them every week, going to every practice and game I could. Uh, you know, it was a lot of sacrifice having to, to miss uh, nights on the row and, uh, you know, Fridays and Saturdays. Uh, going to going to Staples Center instead of going to parties or, or hanging out with my friends um, and, you know, going to practices in the morning and all that stuff. So uh, it, it was really fun, though. And, you know, I, I think that that's been the, the best part of my job is I don't really consider it a job. Like if I had a, you know, a typical nine to five or, or just was covering something else, like I'd still be really interested in, in what player X set at practice or, or which team, you know, won the game in overtime, whatever. So uh for me th this has just been a joy and and you know just amazing so out of school i uh, went to fox sports uh for a couple of years I was a writer editor there i uh, did everything from newsletters to game coverage to you know um different ranking lists and all, all this different uh stuff original work aggregation that was really good just writing experience writing every day you know five to seven articles a day uh then <clears throat> Writing was kind of on the wall as, as Fox Sports was pivoting to vi uh, you know, video, which was a popular thing a couple years ago, and reached out to some people at ESPN. There was an editor job. Uh, then I went to ESPN for a couple years. It was an editor there. Uh, last six months was, was an NBA editor, uh, which you know, was, was really what I, I was trying to do, you know, switch to the NBA team, be an editor there, get to edit guys like Dave McMiniman, Brian Windhorst, um, you know, you know, they're Chris Haynes, like the, the really talented group. Uh, some of those guys aren't there anymore, but uh, you know, after I just kind of realized though that editing wasn't wasn't the thing for me, and I, I think that's one of the biggest things. Uh, you know, that anyone listening to this looking for any you know advice in, in journalism or any type of career, like I, I think you got to figure out what what works for you and what you're interested in, and. Um, you know, as much as I liked editing, I didn't really love it and I didn't really have a passion for it. Um, and you know, I, I think it just kind of proved to me that I needed to be creating, I needed to be writing, I needed to be getting my voice out there. And, uh, then this position with the athletic kind of, um, opened up it just happened, you know, it was happenstance. And, uh, at first I was maybe going to go cover another team, but once they presented the Clippers as an opportunity to get to stay in LA, like was a no brainer for me. And, uh, been there now a little over four months. Uh, just before this podcast, I just did, uh, my first live Q and a on the athletic for two hours, answered like something like 50 questions. And, um, I I've been loving it so far. Uh, you know, getting to travel on the road with the team, uh, at, at every game, every practice. So, uh, this, this past four and a half months has, has been great. And, uh, it's pretty much been everything I've ever wanted. So, uh, no complaints for me right now. Because The Athletic is such a different type of website than all the other ones you've worked for in the past, what would you say has been the biggest difference between The Athletic and all these other sites? Well, I think the biggest difference right now, you know, 
for and, and there's many things that go into it. I mean, you know, for one, it's it's, it's a startup, so I, I don't think they, I don't think they necessarily have to play by the same rules as as more traditional sports outlets. But I also don't think they want to because the, you know they're still trying to find their their footing in the industry. Um, and you know, I, I think they we've done a great job so far. But you know, obviously, there's always room for improvement and. I think we're only going to continue to carve out a you know a bigger role in the industry over the next few years. But um, I, I think just with, with the goal of the athletic, uh, the difference I've noticed between you know there and, and other places I've worked, like I just think there to to them like it's almost like no idea is a bad idea, and and that could sound like a bad idea. But I, I think for them, it's always like you know, what, what are, what are our readers and subscribers interested in? What are the writers interested in? And, you know, maybe, a, maybe a, a bad pitch or bad idea, you know, can, can be a bad pitch or bad idea in, in the beginning, but then kind of like, what, what's the angle here? What, what's the interesting part of this? Um, so I, I think in, you know, my past experience, um, if you pitch a certain idea and that editor didn't like it, they would probably just be like, nah, like we're not going to write we're not going to, you know, we're not, you're not going to write that. We're not going to pursue this, you know, whatever they pass on it. I think at the athletic that they, they've been way more open-minded to uh, ideas and, and maybe not fully supporting the entire idea, but at least supporting part of it and, and having you pursue it. And, you know, there's been several things I've pursued and nothing has come of it. And, and just in that case, like I don't write the story or I change the story or write a smaller part of it. But I think for them, like their, their willingness to, um you know to experiment to try different things uh you know like live q a's like uh you know that for example i mean part of it obviously you know you have a subscriber base like you want to keep them engaged and and you want to um you know keep them happy and answer their questions but you know no no one else is really doing that like um that type of stuff so i think you know for the athletic it's just kind of trying to be more uh reader and subscriber friendly and uh you know i think that's been the 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 biggest difference i've seen you mentioned a bit earlier about how you've been in this position for four months so what's your experience like being on the beat this year and how does the travel play in and what's a typical day for you so experience on the beat has been great like uh you know it's weird for me because i've been around the clippers for for seven years but i was always in a different capacity where you know i didn't have to write um so regularly there wasn't as much pressure um, and, you know, just kind of my my motives at practices and games were, were different. It was more of like, do I have something to ask? Do I not? Like, and it was a bit more passive. I think now, like, I, I still don't have to write every day and I still don't have to ask questions if I really don't want to. But um, I, I think now I'm definitely in a different position where I'm constantly working on at least one story, if not multiple, usually multiple. And, uh, you know, just so just being at practices, being at games, like it's just a different approach, always trying to talk to different people, trying to get as much information, insight as I can on whether it's like a story I'm working on or a story I want to work on. Uh, you know, I think that's kind of been the different just having a way different mindset at, at games and stuff has been the biggest adjustment. Uh, also, you know, consistently trying to, to write and have different ideas um can be a bit of a challenge but i enjoy that challenge and that's kind of what i've always wanted uh as far as a typical day like 
if you want to take a game day, you usually go to shoot around around like 10 30, 10 45. Uh, then we'll be there probably 20 to 30 minutes before they speak. And then, uh, you know, usually two people will speak. Uh, shoot around doc usually doesn't talk, but some, you know, sometimes we'll talk, usually not. Uh, he usually only talks at practice. So we'll get like two, three guys. Uh, they talk like three to five minutes, usually time for like eight to 10 questions. Uh, so I'll, I'll try to get, you know, at least one question in, sometimes two or three. Uh, after that, we split up the transcription, you know, a few of the, the writers covering the team. And, uh, you know, so that'll go another 30 minutes. So I'm usually done with, you know, Clippers practice around like 12, 1230. Uh, and then from that point, it's just kind of, you know, either working on a story I'm already working on or preparing my story for that night. Uh, so I'll usually have about like a three to four hour window before I have to start, you know, in between practice and when I have to start getting ready for the game. Uh, then, you know, games, Clipper games usually at 7.30 during the week. Uh, so, you know, Doc will talk at like 5.45, visiting coach at, at 6. So I, I like to get to the arena around like at least 5, 5.15. Uh, if I could get in even earlier, even better. Uh, just to, you know, talk to different people around the team, talk to different writers, talk to, you know, visiting people uh, for, the, for the opponent, and just kind of always talking to people, trying to get, again, as much information and insight, um, you know, as I can. Uh, then Doc will talk, the opposing coach will talk, uh, you know, interview them, then transcribe that. Locker room will be open for about 30 minutes, but, but players really like to avoid talking to the media at that point uh, if they can. Uh, and then, you know, got another like 45 minute window there from about 645 to 730, where it's just like finishing up transcribing, preparing my story and kind of, you know, eating maybe a little bit and uh, just getting ready for the game. And then during the game, uh, usually 730 to about 10, just taking notes, um, you know, monitoring Twitter, trying to get some tweets out, but also not trying to spoil my story or my, any, you know, give away any ideas. Uh, and then after the game. Uh, you know, drop my laptop off and immediately go to the press conference room where Doc will talk uh, and then go into the Clippers locker room and interview different guys and then transcribe it, finish, you know, start finishing my story. Usually don't get out of Staples Center till at least 12, 1230. Um, sometimes my story's done. Sometimes it's not. I, I don't really have a deadline, which is the beauty of the athletic. So sometimes I'll just go home, finish my story at home and, you know, in bed or something till like 1, 1 or sometimes I'll just finish it in the morning, get up at like, you know, 8, 8.30 and, uh, and try to crank it out by like 9, 9.30, get it to my editor, get it up. So uh, really just kind of depends on, you know, what I'm writing, uh, how complicated it is, if I'm struggling with it or not. You know, some, sometimes you get a little bit of writer's block, don't really know what, what you want to write about or kind of how to express certain things. But yeah, like, I, you know, I'd say an average, an average game day, I'm working from like 10.30 a.m. to 1, 1.30 a.m. So it's pretty long days. But um, again, like I said earlier, uh, you know, I wouldn't trade this, this job for anything. And, uh, you know, you, you can't really complain about getting paid to watch sports. <laughs> totally agree with you on that one. You mentioned earlier that players are somewhat dodgy of the media. They don't really want to engage very much. Would you say that's the most difficult part of your job? Or would you say there's something that's even harder than trying to get a player to cooperate with the media? Uh, I, I would say that's the most difficult just because, um, you know, the, the difference between, say, like me and a 
random Clippers blogger is I have access, right? Like I'm at the practices, I'm at the games, I'm interviewing, um, you know, the, the players and the coaches and, uh, you know, uh, you can still do that remotely and, and, you know, the, the teams post the audio and, and, uh, you know, online and stuff. So you could still do parts of it remotely, but, you know, just being there, being, you know, around the team, getting to grab guys for one-on-ones, um, you know, just kind of being on the scene and seeing what's actually happening and, and giving you that kind of color to, to paint the picture, you know, so to speak, uh, in your writing, like that's a big advantage. And I think, you know, the, the challenge with that is, is sometimes, um, you know, depending on the coach or depending on the mood the coach is in, like Doc's pretty good with the media, but there's definitely some times where, um, you know, he kind of just goes into PR mode and, you know, he'll, he'll just give you the, the routine answers you expect. Uh, so, so those types of things, you know, talking in cliches, you know, giving short answers, uh, that's really the challenge when you, when you get a guy and they really just aren't in the mood to talk or, uh, you know, or just kind of train not to give away too much. Uh, so I would definitely say like, you know, the, the biggest challenge is, is, is a getting guys to, to want to talk. Um, you know, the, the communication department can kind of force it to, to some extent, but sometimes like, you know, I was at Clippers Warriors game, KD just slipped out, you know, from talking to the media. He obviously now we've, we've seen the drama that's come out of that situation with Draymond, but KD just dipped out and, you know, technically he could get fined for that. You know, the Warriors could get fined for that, but no one's going to report that. No one, you know, just because it's going to cause a bad, you know, rift between them and, and the Warriors media people. So, um, stuff like that it's like you know you want to talk to kd well now he's gone you can't talk to him so i i do think that's the biggest challenge uh but if you find guys that are good at talking it could be the biggest advantage because then they'll they'll tell you stuff you want to hear there'll be good quotes uh they'll they'll answer your questions for stories so it could be the biggest challenge but it could also be the biggest benefit you know with the right guy I definitely want to talk about what happened during that Clippers-Warriors game in a minute. But first, I want you to tell us about the time you tried out for the Clippers G League basketball team. What a time, man. Uh, that, that was fun. Uh, you know, it was a story I had had for a year. Um, and to go back to kind of the, the difference, like um, at ESPN, I don't know if it was just a, a Clippers thing because the Clippers aren't, you know, nationally the most relevant team. Or, you know, just because I was an editor and I wasn't a writer, like, I, I don't really know what, why they decided to pass, but they decided to pass on that. And this year, you know, brought up the story to the athletic and they were, uh, they were cool, you know, they loved the idea. And I, so, you know, kind of set it up with the Clippers, went there, it was like 9am on like a Saturday. So kind of giving up my, my Friday night and Saturday morning uh, and tried out. So the little bit of the backstory, you know, for me is that I, I broke my ankle playing basketball in March. So, um, you know, I hadn't played, you know, th- this was like mid-September. So I hadn't played basketball in like six and a half months. Like I played once in June uh, to just, just to try to test it out and I just couldn't go and, and I stopped playing. So um, I, I was really rusty. It had not, you know, I, I work out, but I, I don't work out my legs much. So hadn't really activated my legs in a while. Um, so, of course, naturally, the best way to get back into to basketball shape and, and to get back into the groove of things is trying out against people who are aspiring professional basketball players. That was a really smart idea. Um, but 
yeah, it was really cool. Like we, you know, shot around for a bit, then they lined us up. Uh, well, they actually had us go through, uh, you know, a stretching routine first and an NBA warm-up routine, which that was actually the hardest part, which is the funniest thing when I tell people. Like, um, you know, it was not the scrimmaging. It was not going up against guys bigger, longer, more athletic than me. It was, you know, actually the, the, the warm-up, like doing, uh, the, you know, these lunge, forward lunges and backward lunges and like all these different leg exercises and, and warm-ups. Uh, really got my legs sore and and you know I was all, even before we started scrimmaging I was already sore and kind of um you know tired so uh then we lined up by height I was somehow like the ninth tallest guy out of 79 and I'm like 6'5 maybe 6'6 with shoes on but uh I, I was really kind of surprised I you know I, was, I thought there was gonna be a lot taller guys than me uh that said the guys that were taller you know they were bigger than me were six eight six nine six ten so there was a couple guys that were definitely like nba big man size um then we split up into like eight teams and, and just scrimmage for like two hours and uh played like four games and uh it, it was the biggest thing that i noticed between like that and like high school basketball or that and like regular pickup basketball is just the just the speed and everyone you know everyone's fast and and uh you know everyone's athletic everyone's long everyone's strong like it's just that there's a big difference between the the average athleticism of like a pickup player and the average athleticism of um you know a, a guy you know in the g league or a guy in the nba and uh you know th these were guys that really i think only one guy from the 79 made their ended up making their actual like g league roster so that just shows you like you know, most of the guys there were, were taking it very seriously. A lot of them played D1, D2, D3. Uh, a lot of them played in Europe. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're trying to make the roster. So, like, that just shows you, you know, a lot of these guys weren't even G League caliber guys. And they were still so much better than, you know, anyone I, I had seen in, in high school or, or just in the average, like, you know, adult pickup game. So, um, I think for anyone who, who has the you know the the urge to tweet out or, or post on, on you know facebook instagram whatever that they're you know they could beat player y in, in a game one-on-one -on -one or that player z sucks like you're wrong they're they're much better than you and uh you know i reference like the the brian scalabrini thing from a few years ago where he played all these guys who called him out on twitter and i think you know one or two of the guys even played like d1 or something he just dominated them, like beat them 11-0, just crushed them. And that was after he had like already retired. So, uh, you know, you look at him, you know, it's like 6'8", you know, so he's got size, but like you look at him, he's not that athletic, doesn't really look like he's in basketball shape, like um, just a, a little bit doughy. But, you know, even a guy like him who, who's an end-of-the-bench guy for most of his career, like, um, you know, he, he can dominate anybody pretty much that, that's like not – g league caliber you know d you know high d1 caliber so uh, i think the the you know it was an awesome experience uh you know i went undercover none of the players knew none of the coaches knew except for like you know the head coach of the team and like the gm of the team who, who were both there uh, so that was a really cool experience but uh the biggest takeaway for sure was like um you know most most people are wrong in thinking that they could hang with an nba player or even a g league player like you can't
It's great that you mentioned that because Paul Pierce recently said that he thinks Duke could beat the Cleveland Cavaliers. And while a lot of people are fielding that argument, I still think that many people aren't realizing truly how big the skill gap is from even elite college to what many consider lower NBA. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Cavs, for as bad as they are, they, they just whooped the, the Hornets last night by uh, like 25 points or something. And, and the Hornets had been pretty good this season. And, you know, I think they were like seventh or eighth in, in like net rating and point differentials. So like they basically just beat a team that's been around a top 10 team uh, by, by 25 points pretty, pretty soundly. Uh, I, I do not, you know, I, I don't think, honestly, I think if they played Duke, they'd beat Duke by probably like 40 to 50 points. Like, I, I mean, and, that, and that's maybe the worst team in the league. Like imagine the Warriors playing them. Like, uh, you know, I, I do think that Duke obviously has some talented guys, probably three guys that are going to go the top five of the draft. But, um, you know, the rest of the roster, it's like after that, the drop off, you know, those guys are probably like right now would be average to slightly above average NBA players. Even if they're good NBA players, they're not going to be good defensively. And then the rest of the team is like those guys are not NBA caliber. You know, so, some of them might become or, or might eventually be, but like, they're not NBA caliber right now, and uh, you know I think that would be you know a bloodbath if if they faced each other. I totally agree with that. Um, diving more into the Clippers, since that's the team you focus on, what have been your overall thoughts of the season so far? It's been a a good you know first off it's been a really good season, and I I've been surprised because when I looked at the beginning of the Clippers schedule, their first fourteen games. 12 of them were against teams that made the postseason last year. And one of the other two games that was against non-playoff teams was against Denver, who missed the playoffs by one game last year. And basically, you know, what was a playoff team. Right now, they're the two seed in, in the West. So it's like D- Denver's pretty good. Um, or I, actually, the, the three seed. But uh, still, D- Denver's pretty good. So the only like gimme game that they had in in their first fourteen games was Orlando, and even that was a road game and a back to back. So like, you know that that's kind of a, a trap game where where you might lose that game. So I looking at their initial schedule was like, damn, they might start like four and ten, five and nine, six and eight, and at that point, you know. Uh, the West, you're going to need 47, 48 wins to get into the playoffs this year. And I just thought, you know, maybe at that point they start to sell off some of the veterans. Like, you know, maybe a guys like Avery Bradley, Pep Everly, Milos Teodosic, like maybe they move some of those guys just because, you know, if you start the season four and 10, you know, I mean, it's really no different than going four and 10 at, at some point in the middle of the season. But I just think that the optics of starting the season so poorly and, and kind of coming from behind like I think right now if they were four and ten they'd be like the third worst team in the west um so if they if they had a start like that I think you really have to look at like can we make the playoffs can we make up that ground can we get back over 500 like that'd be pretty challenging so the fact that they started off so well at eight and five uh they've had some really impressive wins you know they just beat the bucks and warriors back to back and I you know some people Yes, Steph Curry was not playing, but even even without Steph Curry, the Warriors are probably the best team in the NBA, top three at worst. Like they're so much better than everyone already that even losing Steph, who's, who's 
I don't think he's their best player. I think KD's better, but I think he, he might be their most important player. Uh, even without him, like, they're still the three best players on the court, uh, you, you know, against the Clippers. They're still better and, and more talented than the Clippers. They should have won that game a couple nights ago. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so, for, so for the Clippers to beat the Bucks and Warriors back-to-back, I think was extremely impressive. Like, the Bucks have been amazing. The Bucks just whooped the Warriors. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo is probably the MVP front runner right now. So uh, I think for the, the Clippers to get both of those wins, like that, that's pretty impressive. They've already beat the Rockets twice. They beat the Thunder. Uh, they, you know, they beat the Wolves. They beat the, the Wizards. Like, so I think the other thing with that is like their schedule ended up actually being a little bit easier than anticipated. Like first game without playing the Thunder, Westbrook didn't play. Uh, they, they faced Houston twice, but once without Harden, once without Chris Paul. Uh, the Wizards and, and Wolves have been an absolute train wrecks. Uh, and, you know, I, I thought there's the, there's the potential for them to have chemistry issues, but not this early on. Maybe the Wolves, but, like, it's probably been worse than even, like, pessimists thought. Um, so, and then now, you know, obviously Warriors without Curry, which, like, you know, it does make them worse, but, you know, they're still so freaking good. So I think if you're, you know, if you're a Clippers fan, you, you got to, you know, kind of, temper your expectations a little bit just because I think the team has benefited from the schedule actually being a little bit easier than than originally anticipated but with that said like they're eight and five uh they're top 10 in offense and defense uh Tobias Harris has looked like a potential all-star uh Gallinari has bounced back Lou Williams has been just as good as last year Shea Gilgis Alexander has been you know looks like an might he might be in the rookie of the year conversation uh if he continues to play this well uh so i think this team has been one of the surprise teams of the season i do not know if they can keep it up at this level but i do expect them to be in the playoff hunt as long as they can stay healthy and uh you know i definitely think that this team is a lot better than a lot of people thought i'm glad you touched on shea gilgis alexander because i was going to ask you about him for someone who was a little bit overlooked considering how top-heavy the draft class was with DeAndre Ayton, Luka Doncic, Marvin Bagley. How have you seen his growth this year, and do you think he's a legitimate Rookie of the Year candidate? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I think that his biggest challenge is just going to be that looking at probably the, the three favorites right now in, in some order would be Luka, DeAndre Ayton, and Trey Young. Like, those three guys just have bigger roles in the offense. Uh, and, and a lot of times, like, I forgot who, who tweeted it out or wrote about it last year, but someone basically said, like, the easiest way to, to calculate rookie of the year is just add, you know, we have all these advanced stats now, like PER and win shares and, and you know, plus minus and all this stuff. But the, the easiest way to calculate who wins rookie of the year, add up points, rebounds, and assists just those three categories and the leader, I think like 18 of the last 19 rookies of the year have been the guy who's had the most combined points, rebounds and assists. So um, I think if you're looking, if you're basing it off that, like I don't expect him to have to be the leader in that. Like, you know, Luca, Luca is going to average like 18, five and five, like Deandre Ayton's going to average like 18 and 10. Uh, you know, Trey Young is going to average like, you know, 17, 18 and like seven, eight assists. So I don't see Shea, you know, having those types of numbers. But um, if you told me by the end of the season, he's averaging like 
13, 14, you know, four rebounds, four or five assists. Like, I, I would believe that. And that's really solid. Um, for, for him, the, the thing that has been encouraging to see is just his offensive growth. Um, you know, he, he's someone that he doesn't force shots and he can almost be a little bit passive at times, but he's become more assertive over the past couple of weeks, especially since he entered the starting lineup and really his best three games of the season have been the last three games. And those have been against Portland, Milwaukee and Golden State. And those are three of the top five teams in the NBA right now. So he, he's been playing really well against really good competition. Um, you know, teams that have length and, and size and are good defensively. He's been scoring on them. Like he scored on the Warriors at will. That was his, his best offensive game of the season. Um, and, you know, he had Clay Thompson on him. He had Andre Iguodala on him. He had Sean Livingston on him. Um, he, he had some Quinn Cook on him, which he's just bigger than and he shot over him. But um, I, I think for, for Shea, it's been, uh, you know, really improving his decision-making, uh, being more assertive offensively. Defensively, he's already, you know, a solid defender, which is really rare for any rookie, but, you know, especially a point guard. Um, he uses his size well on both ends. Like, I've just been so impressed with him, and he's been getting better and better every game. Like, um, you know, I expect him to make the all-rookie first team. I expect him to be in the rookie of the year conversation. Uh, again, I, I just don't see him having a big enough role offensively. He's kind of at, at, at best the, the fourth guy behind Tobias Gallo and Lou. Uh, so I don't really see that hap- you know, kind of changing unless they trade one of those guys. But uh, I do think Shea is, you know, he was voted the steal of the draft by the GMs heading into the season. I do think he's the steal of the draft. And I think when all is said and done, when we're looking at this five years from now, 10 years from now, he's probably going to be like the fourth or fifth best guy from this draft. And to get that guy at, at number 11 is, is a steal. Yeah, I definitely don't think what you said is a stretch at all. I mean, Shea was very productive in college, and he looks incredible now, especially, like you said, what he did against the Warriors. Expanding to the NBA overall, what do you think has been one of the most surprising storylines this season? Um, well, I think the two things, and, and they're, the, um, you know, they're kind of the most talked about stories right now. Um, so I don't know, like, the surprise, but like, I, I would definitely say, the Jimmy Butler trade, um, you know, that was a situation where, again, I was surprised at how poorly it went in, in Minnesota to, to kind of start the season. Um, you know, that I, I thought it would, it would reach that point at some point, but I didn't expect it to be this early on. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I, I don't think anyone saw the Philly situation happening. You know, like it was all Miami and, and then Houston entered the mix. And, you know, even even the Clippers were in the mix is like, well, maybe he'll sign with them next summer if, if Minnesota holds on to, to him. But uh, so I, I was surprised at kind of how that situation played out um, and, and just kind of how quickly it went south and, and how quickly the, the Wolves ultimately had to move him. Uh, just because I, I thought that, I thought that once he once he re- reported and was practicing and stuff, like some of that would go away, and and you know the Wolves would still look to move him, and maybe they'd move him in like December or January once a lot of the the guys who were signed this summer could be traded. Uh, but I didn't expect it to to kind of go as south as it did. Uh, and then the second thing would would have to be 
um, you know, this whole Draymond KD thing. Like, I, I think that at at first it just looked like a, a a spat between them, which we've seen happen now multiple times. And uh, you know, that that's that's nothing new. Like Draymond gets into it with guys, and that's just kind of Draymond's ethos. But uh, this clearly, you know, something he said crossed the line, and it it appears to be. Uh, you know, about free agency and then kind of KD having that loom over over the Warriors' heads. And uh, Draymond, you know, has a problem with that. But uh, I think the, the, the two biggest surprises to me with, with that situation were, you know, this is something that could have been brought up at any point in the season. I don't really know why Draymond chose this time. Like, I want to know what triggered him to actually say that. Like, you know, it's one thing to have that feeling, and I'm sure other guys in the Warriors locker room have that feeling. But like, you know, what, you know, is there an insecurity with with Draymond about like, you know, his role within the team, or or you know, the fact that KD was almost like indirectly by calling him out for that play, kind of saying like, I don't trust you to make the right decision on that play. Or like, you know, I, I think I'm that much better at making a decision in that moment than you are. So like maybe that hit on some type of insecurity for Draymond, but I'm just surprised that he kind of unleashed that at this moment. And then on top of that, like to kind of take that further, I think the, the second part of that is like, why did he continue berating KD? Like it's one thing if, you know, you get into it with someone, it, it's, you know, it's heat of the moment. Uh, adrenaline, emotions, like it's one thing to kind of just like let something out and get it off your chest, especially for someone who's outspoken, you know, as outspoken as Draymond is. But like, why did it continue into the locker room? Why did it spill over into there? Why did he continue to to bring it up and like go at KD? And and clearly whatever he said was, you know, bad enough to get uh, uh, suspended. So it's like, and, and fined, you know, basically because he's not getting paid. So, you know, what, what was that trigger for him to do that? And then why did he feel the need to continue it? Because, you know, I doubt, I, I don't know this. And, you know, I've just read the reporting of what's been going on and you should check out The Athletic. They, they have some great stories up on, on kind of behind the scenes stuff. They really have, you know, I think we unquestionably have the best Warriors coverage of, of, of anybody uh, out there. So. I think you should check that out if, if you're interested in, in finding out more. But, uh, you know, from I doubt KD brought that back up in the locker room. That was definitely something that, you know, Draymond was still pissed about it and, and Draymond continued that altercation. So for him to continue to do that and for it to have been as bad as it was, like you rarely hear of guys getting suspended because of something they said. It's always like, oh, he missed practice. Oh, you know, he was late to this thing. Oh, he was, you know, whatever. Like maybe... You have the, the where like last year, Bobby Portis punched Nikola Mirotic. Like, yeah, that's, that's an extreme example and, and he got suspended. But, um, you know, for, for a guy to say something and get a suspension off that, that's pretty rare, at least for it to, to come out publicly. I don't know, like privately, sometimes maybe that happens and we just don't know about it. But, um, you know, for, for it to be that public, that's a rare instance. And I just don't really know what Draymond was thinking and, and kind of what was that trigger. You know it's a bad situation when DeMarcus Cousins, out of all people, has to look you in the face and calm you <laughs> that, down. That, that was the funniest part of all of that. Yeah, because, I mean, 
you have honestly you have a lot of hotheads on that team with Draymond and Cousins and even like guy even KD can get fired up at times. Um, but I want to ask you, what was the atmosphere like in the building during that intermission right before they went into overtime? Like, was it tense? Could you like feel that something was off? To be honest, I didn't even notice. Uh, I didn't even notice until I saw it on Twitter. Like, I I was so focused on. On like, you know, I was sitting on the Clipper side of the court, so I wasn't even on the Warrior side. Um, and it, you know, it, it didn't happen, you know, it, it did happen, but like, obviously it happened on their bench. So I, I can't really see their bench with, with everyone huddling around. And then it spilled onto the court a little bit, but that was like for 10, 15 seconds. So like, I didn't see it like in person live. I just saw the video. Um it was a weird atmosphere because, you know, the the Warriors made such a big comeback in, in the last few minutes and the crowd had kind of been a little weird where it was a lot of Warriors fans and the Clippers fans weren't being that loud. Then all of a sudden the Warriors went on that run and the Warriors fans are going crazy and, and Staple, you know, half of Staples was standing up cheering for the Warriors. Clay's hitting all these crazy shots. KD's hitting some crazy shots. And like, it was just a really weird dynamic where... I've seen this happen so many times at Clipper games where like, uh, you know, the Clippers just by the nature of their fan base and the, the nature of their tickets, like they always have a lot of, you know, especially Eastern Conference, but like just in general, like transplants from other cities. So like, you know, when the Bulls come, the Knicks come, the Celtics, the Warriors, uh, you know, any any big team uh, that, you know, has a big presence, you know, just kind of nationally. Uh, that there will have there will be a lot of fans there, especially with the, you know the Warriors is probably the worst one, uh, because there's so many people from the Bay in LA. But uh, you know you'll see that there'll be points in a close game where the other the opponent you know the opposing fan base is cheering so loud, and uh, you know Clippers fans almost feel like they have to match it or surpass it, and it's just a super awkward thing. But uh, it, it was a very heightened emotional thing because the Clippers kind of blew that lead. Uh, they did not play well down the stretch. And you could tell Clipper, you know, in that moment when you're going, you know, Steph Curry or not, when you're going to overtime with the Warriors, you can't feel confident. Like, you know, they made a big run. They had Katie and Clay. you know, Katie eventually fouled out in overtime. But like, you can't feel confident looking at, a, a, you know, that team and being like, well, crap, they have Katie and Clay, you know, going off right now. You, you can't feel good about your chances of winning that game. So I think the Warriors fans are going crazy. Clippers fans were on edge and then that kind of played out and, and KD got, you know, uh, fouled out and the Warriors lost. But, um, you know, it, you could tell what you could tell was after the game in, in the Warriors locker room. It was a tense locker room. It was a weird locker room. Uh, KD immediately left and, you know, he, he just dipped without talking to reporters. And, you know, that, that's that's very uncharacteristic uh, of him. Anthony Slater, who is our Warriors writer for The Athletic. He's been covering them since KD, you know, has been in Golden State and, and then was, you know, covering the, the Thunder for, I think, like three or four years before that. He said he's never seen Kevin Durant leave, uh, you know, a, a uh, you know just not talk to the media and, and leave without talking to the media. So for him to be that upset, and, you know, he, he's had disagreements with Draymond before. He's had bad moments with the Warriors before. He's had stuff with Westbrook before. And for him, for this to be the one time he left without talking to the media, that to me really spoke to like, this was a very serious situation. And you saw after the game last night, his answer is like, 
they asked him about have you and Draymond talked about it they just said nah like have you guys patched it up like are you gonna patch it up like you know maybe we'll see like whatever um you know are you guys still friends like he was just like can we just talk about basketball so like he's clearly still not over the situation uh so I, i think this is you know we've not heard the last of this we have not heard draymond's side yet i think draymond is probably gonna probably wisely will will stay in the middle and kind of def- deflect talking about it and, and kind of diffuse it when people ask him about it but i think at least like it would not surprise me if draymond gets over this quickly and draymond just moves past it like the suspension was weird and he's probably gonna be upset about that for a bit but like i think draymond can move past this i think kd is gonna be upset about this for a while we, we've seen this with kd he's emotional he's sensitive um you know you could that, that's a, both a, a pro and a con and uh i, I think kd is gonna hold on to this and it would not surprise me if if he leaves if they kind of frame it as this was what pushed him out because um you know he's freaking kd he's the one of the best players ever one of the best scorers ever two-time reigning finals mvp like draymond should not be talking to him like that doesn't matter who draymond is doesn't matter what he's done like uh, I think Draymond handled that very poorly, and um, I think it, it it's going to have some serious ramifications. Speaking of ramifications, do you think that this kind of fight, I should say, which you you're right, KD seems to be taking it very personally. Do you think do you think this fight is enough to hinder the Warriors' chances of going for another title? It, it's too early to tell. I think um, if I had to bet based off of what's happened so far like i I would say no uh just because i think this team is too talented and you know just too i i think they're just so much better than everybody else that like you know i i think even if they have some inner like you know let's not forget um you know the kobe shack lakers kobe and shack really by year two of that three P did not like each other. And, you know, they were able to, to get that, you know, kind of third championship and then coexist enough to, to go to the finals one more time in the last two years. And you know, they lost that Pistons team, which no one really saw coming, but I think that kind of showed that blueprint of like, you can still win while being, you know, not being on the best of terms. Um, Obviously, like the Cavs situation was always a little bit weird, where like those guys didn't necessarily get along great. Uh, we we've seen it, you know. Uh, co- co- you know, we we've seen some examples. Even some of the Heat stuff, there was some awkward fit there. So like, I don't think it's necessarily like rare for for guys to not get along or, or not be the best fit together and still win. But um, I, I would say that if we're still talking about this two weeks from now a month from now two months from now that's when i would start to get worried uh like if, if this drags out uh you know right now it, it 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 just happened they had a game the next day draymond was suspended you know katie gave some weird answers that you know there's been more stories coming out about it so i think this is just a natural news cycle and like you know this is this was gonna have a, a 48 to 72 hour shelf life but it has been super weird. It has not gone kind of the way you'd expect it to go. Uh, I thought Steve Kerr and, and, and um, uh, what uh, Bob Myers, uh, b- both their the, you know their press conference that they gave before the game was super awkward, and you could just tell both guys like 
they were, you know, they're both usually very friendly and, and amicable and, and just kind of warm towards the media. They were both kind of like a little bit weird and, and you could just tell it was a super awkward situation. So if we're still talking about this, like, you know, a few weeks from now and it's still a thing and, and you know, Katie and Draymond aren't talking or they have another blow up or, or whatever, like then I'd start to get worried. But, you know, fortunately for the Warriors, this is this is you know, mid-November and not mid-March, you know. So I think that the timing of it uh, also matters. And, and who knows, maybe they rally around this and maybe this brings them closer together. And, um, you know, it's kind of the, you know, sometimes, sometimes fights can be good, but all early indications from this are this is a bad thing. And uh, I'm really, you know, I think this, this really could be the most fascinating thing for the rest of the season is just kind of how this affects the Warriors because I, I think... One of my favorite things over the past couple of years has just been thinking like, if you took the Warriors out of the NBA, how fun would the NBA be? Like last year, we would have had a Cavs Rockets finals. I think that would have been six or seven games could have gone either way. Um, you know, the year before uh, might have been, you know, I don't know, Cav Cavs Thunder or something like it, it just the, the, the West and East would be way more wide open if there was no Golden State team. So uh, I think that if, if they break up or have some big issues, like I think the, the West, you know, there might be six or seven teams that could win the championship. And, and that really kind of brings the NBA more to the NFL. And, and that's really interesting. On that note, I just wanted to say, Jovan, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time out to meet with me. Yeah, man. Th thanks for having me on uh, anytime. Uh, happy to do it. So uh, fight on. Uh, fight on. I'll put Jovan's uh, social media handles in the description and be sure to subscribe to The Athletic. I really think he has some great content and I really appreciate all the work you do. Hey man, thank you. I really appreciate that. From one Trojan to another, thanks again and tune in next episode to see what I have in store for you guys. Thank you.